Are you a people watcher? I find it interesting to watch people in different situations, how people respond to different situations. I remember specifically a time when I was in high school and I was going through this phase where I would wear a neon pink baseball cap everywhere I went. I don't know what got me into it, but I just started wearing this neon pink baseball hat almost everywhere I went. Well, I, I wore it out. I had worn it so much, and it was dirty, and it was nasty, and it was in need of replacement, and so I was, from time to time, keeping my eye open for one, and one day my brother and my mom, and that's not the funny part of the story, that I had a neon pink hat, okay? There's, that's, that was just normal, okay? Uh, my brother and my mom and I were walking through Potomac Mills Mall in Dale City, Virginia, and I saw a hat that hanging at the back of a store, and I was like, hey! There's one. I've been looking for one. So I turn to my mom and say, here, hold this. It's the packages that we had already purchased, the, 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 the product that we had already gotten from other stores. I said, here, hold this. And I turned to go into the store. And I was like, okay. But then I was, I was walking with purpose. I was, you know, I was determined. And I turned on, bam! And I hit a glass wall. I was, ev- I was evidently closer then I had realized, and it was really clean glass. I mean, it was, it was clear. And I thought that was, a, a, the, I didn't even know there was a, wall, a glass wall there. So I slam into this glass wall, and I kind of bounce off of it, and my glasses are crooked, and I'm trying to gather my, myself, and my brother is like walking down the hallway like he has no idea who I am. Response number one. I see my mom ahead down the hall, leaning on the wall, laughing, trying to catch her breath, wondering how she could have, have, have given birth to such an ignoramus. And then I kid you not, you know how they have those benches in the middle of the hallway for, for people who don't like to shop? There was a little old man. He was laying on his side, slapping his leg, <laughs> laughing at me. I didn't appreciate all the responses that I saw that day. Responses tell us a lot. Emotions, humor, responsibilities that we have, work ethic. Our text this morning calls for a response to the theological truths of the gospel. So if you haven't turned there yet, would you please turn to Romans chapter 6 in your copy of the Bible. If you're using the pew copy, it's page 794. It's a letter written to the believers in Rome that Paul hadn't met yet, but he hoped to meet when he uh, was on his way to Spain to stop by Rome. It's a letter that describes to us the undeserved, the unmatched, and the unstoppable gospel of Jesus Christ. We've been making our way through this epistle, and we've noted how Paul says the gospel is the power of God to salvation. It's the priority of the gospel in the first 17 verses of the epistle. We've looked at the the heart of the gospel uh, in in the rest of chapter 1 and through chapter 4. That salvation comes by faith, not by our works. And now we're into this four-chapter section about the assurance of the gospel. God puts puts these four chapters here for a purpose. That we may not be wondering, but that we may be assured of our standing with almighty, holy God. So we can be assured 
uh, of, of our standing with God because we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We can be assured of our standing with God because we have direct access to God. We can be assured of our standing with God because we, as God's children, can have joy even in the midst of suffering. We're assured by God's love to us. While we were yet sinners, God demonstrated, he commended his love towards us. Wow! We can be assured of, God's, of our standing with God because we are represented before God not by Adam, who messed up and we followed in his footsteps, but by Jesus, who perfectly, even today, is representing us before God. And chapter 6 tells us we can be assured of our standing with God because we have been made alive by God. Chapter 6 is all about being assured because we are alive to God. This morning, we're going to look specifically at verses 17 through 22. We're going to save verse 23 because it's kind of a summary statement, the culmination of the chapter, and we're going to, to meditate and, and just, just enjoy that single verse together, Lord willing, on August the 1st when we come together at the table and remember God's kindness to us. Would you please follow along as I read from God's Word, Romans chapter 6, beginning at verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid! How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us who are baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, and that just like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted or united together in the likeness of his death, we shall certainly also be with him in the likeness of his resurrection." Knowing this, that our old man is, is crucified with him, past tense, that the body of sin might be destroyed, and henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he lives, he lives unto God. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lusts thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of righteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall have no dominion over you, for you were not under law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? God forbid. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom you obey. So whoever we yield ourselves to obey, that's who we are a servant of. Whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked that ye were servants of sin, but ye have obeyed him from the heart, that, that form of doctrine which was delivered to you. Being then made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as ye have yielded your members' servants to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity, 
Even so, now yield you your members, servants, to righteousness unto holiness. For when ye were servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. What fruit had ye then in those things whereof you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now, being made free from sin and become servants to God, you have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. Are we to continue in sin because we are under grace? No way. We are slaves of the one we whom we obey. We are slaves to God. Unbeliever, if you've, if you've gathered with us this, this morning and you haven't placed your faith in Jesus, you don't, ha- you don't have a new master yet, you remain a slave to sin. So listen and hear about the only master who offers you liberty, freedom. Friends, being alive to God is more than a theological status for our future life. Being alive to God is a tangible summons for our present, our current life. These verses in chapter 6 are not only informational, they are also a call to respond, a call to action. Paul wants us to understand that being under grace instead of being under the law is not an excuse to, be, to, to sin, to engage in sin, or an excuse to be spiritually lazy. Rather, when we understand what it means that God has made us alive, we actively respond to that. Being alive to God is more than a theological status for our future life. It's also a tangible summons for our present life. So let's see how Paul unfolds that that summons or that call in this passage. First, we see that being alive to God, our new master, calls us to thanksgiving. We have done that this morning in our worship service. We have given thanks in prayer and in song. Look again at verse 17. But God be thanked, why? That you were servants of sin, but you have obeyed from the heart. Even though you were servants of sin, you have now obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered to you. Being then made free from sin, you became servants of righteousness. Paul doesn't just pass through this amazing news about having a new master, changing, uh, that we have a new master. He doesn't just kind of breeze by it without noting how big a deal it is that we should be moved to thanksgiving. He's not taking it for granted. The past tense of of this situation is emphasized. We were slaves to sin. That was the ongoing reality of our life. We've seen it in this chapter already, right? The old man was crucified with Christ. We are freed from sin. Reckon yourselves to be dead to sin but alive to God. Sin won't have dominion over you. You are not under law but under grace. We were servants of sin, but now we are servants of righteousness. For anyone who was in Christ, all of that is in the past. The old man was crucified with Christ. That reality is huge. That truth is everything for us. It's literally the most important message and opportunity in all of history. 
all the superlatives of our English language fall short. Words are too few. All attempts to describe it are, are inadequate. People, humanity, dead in sin, and God's choice to make them alive again, that's the single greatest act of undeserved kindness. Didn't we sing that this morning? Newton wrote that great text. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I see. Amazing grace. If you can't give thanks for that, you don't know what that is. You know what I'm saying? If you can't give thanks for that action of God moving you from, 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 from being a slave to sin to being his slave, his servant. If the good news of, of the good news isn't on your gratitude radar, then you must not understand what the good news is. Beloved of harvest, it is right and good and natural for those of us who have been given a new master to give thanks for that. So as you pray, as you pray in your own quiet time with God, as you, as you spend time with God on a walk this summer or through vacation, it's right for us to be repetitive and to thank God for that, that shift that we have a new master. It's right for us to thank him for that over and over and over again. Give thanks to God for his lordship over you. Rejoice in the reality that you no longer have to serve sin but that you can serve righteousness. There is a call to thanksgiving in response to this good news. But note also that it's not only a call to thanksgiving about the actual change of masters, it's also a call to thanksgiving because of their commitment to the teaching. We see that word doctrine. We think of teaching. It was, it was delivered unto you. He says, I'm giving thanks that you have a new master, that you've become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching, to the standard of doctrine to which you were committed. Conversion, being born again, begins with a, a message of truth. There's a body of truth, the gospel, that is accepted when someone is born again. So these Roman Christians were obeying with commitments, the doctrine that they had received. Didn't Jesus say, I am the way, the truth, and the life? So none of us understand all of God's truth. We're still growing in that. But God's children have a desire to know the doctrine, the teaching, the truth of God. The early church was the same way. Acts chapter 2, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to breaking of bread and to prayers. Being a Christian means that you're under the rule of Christian teaching. Being a Christian means that you follow the teaching of God's word. And this is why Paul is giving thanks for them. Brothers and sisters, doctrine is important. Teaching is important. What kind of teaching, what kind of doctrine are you committed to? What you have your allegiance with is important. So be committed to the teaching of God's word. Prioritize the, the reception of God's word. 
whether it's your own time with God in, the, in your own quiet time or in a gathering such as this. Guard your mind from false teaching. Be unwilling to compromise on the body of truth that is the gospel. Friends, there is a lot of teaching in our world today that compromises the body of truth that we call the gospel. It's watered down. It's changed. Understand the gospel as described and given and given to us from the word of God. Be molded into the teaching of the word, not the teaching of the world. Now that doesn't happen without some effort, some discipline, some prioritizing on your part. So Paul gives thanks, both for the change of masters, for these, for these Roman Christians, they're no longer serving sin, but they're serving God, and for their allegiance to the doctrine they had received. Being alive to God is more than a theological status for our future life. It's a tangible summons for our present life. Respond. Being alive to God, our new master, respond with thanksgiving. Secondly, being alive to God, our new master, calls us to surrender. Look at verse number 19. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as you had yielded your members' servants to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity, or to, he says, yielding your members to impurity and lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, even so, here's the imperative, now yield your members' servants to righteousness unto holiness. So Paul gives us, he repeats the instruction from earlier in the chapter, he gives us an exhortation, an imperative of, of contrast. He again reminds us that when we were serving our former master of sin, that we yielded or we presented our members as instruments of slaves to uncleanness, to impurity, to lawlessness. When we presented our members as slaves to, to that, we showed that we were not under grace. Before God made us alive together in Christ, we gave ourselves to the pursuit of sin. So pre-conversion, we, we only cared about what we wanted what we desired, even if that means rebelling against God. Before we were made alive to Christ, we pursued sin naturally. As we read this morning, we are sinners by birth and by choice. But now that we are alive in Christ, we don't have to serve sin. We don't have to give in to the pleasures of temptation. We don't have to submit to the powers of Satan. And that has, that's how Paul is calling us to respond, to be fully surrendered. The call is to live surrendered to the Lord, our new master. The call is, is to walk in obedience to God. The call is to present ourselves, to offer ourselves, to surrender ourselves to our new master because he has made us alive to him. Again, like in, in verse 13, which we looked at a couple of weeks ago, here in verse 19, Paul says, to offer yourself, to offer your members to God. So that includes all of us. Our words are to be surrendered to God. Our thoughts are to be presented, offered to God. Our hands and our feet are to be presented to God. Our attitudes are to be yielded, surrendered to God. This is an action that we are being called to take, a response that we are being called to make. God hasn't made us alive in order that we could sit back and enjoy the ride. 
God has made us alive and we are being called to respond to that amazing grace. Specifically, by living a life of surrender. In verse 16, he asked, Paul asked the question, Don't you know that if you present yourselves to anyone that you are slaves of the one who will obey? So, let's ask ourselves that question this morning. Who or what do you present yourself as an obedient slave? Are you a slave to your job? Is that what you will obey? Are you taken up with your, so taken up with your employment that you have little time or energy yielded to God? Or how about your pleasures? Is that what you obey? Are the physical pleasures of life what you obey and, and, and form everything else around? Sleep, sex, food, alcohol, drugs, medications, something else that you, you, would, you would seek pleasure in? All pleasure is not sin, unless it's what you obey instead of obeying your new master. Am I a slave to my finances? Is that what I obey? I mean, we all get it, right? We all want to provide. We never think we have enough to provide. We want to have that nest egg to retire. Is that what I obey? Am I a slave to my ego? Will you do just about anything in order to save face? Is the embarrassment of being wrong just too much for you? Are you a slave to what other people think about you? What about your possessions? Do you have to have the newest model phone or vehicle or home or fill in the blank with whatever it is for you? Will you do just about anything to obtain that item? See what Paul is saying? We are slaves of whoever we obey, and being made alive to Christ means that we are slaves to God and to righteousness. So don't be confused about, about what we are slaves to or not to. Understand that you are tempted to be slaves to all of these other things, but you have been made a slave to God. So obedience and being a slave to God is not how you are saved. Rather, as one pastor said, obedience doesn't produce salvation, but it is an inevitable characteristic of those who are saved. We live in obedient ways. Are you obedient? We become slaves of whatever we seek. What are you seeking? In Matthew's gospel, he records for us in chapter 6, Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon, or money. And then at the end of the chapter, he says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. What are you seeking, Christian? What are you seeking? Is it something here, or are you surrendered to God and to his purposes? We must understand that we are no longer a slave to sin, but instead of being, uh, we are instead a slave to God. And that actually frees us. It liberates us for righteousness. We are liberated to do whatever we can for God. We are freed to fulfill our destiny and to pursue our created purpose, which is the glory of God. In the beginning, the Bible tells us, God created the heavens and the earth. And on the sixth day of creation, God breathed unto to, to man the breath of life, and man became a living soul. The human race was created in God's image to point back to God's to point back to God. We were created to, to give to reflect the glory of who God is. 
But sin came into the world and death by sin, and so death spread to all mankind. And so our sin prevented us from reflecting properly the glory of God, which was our created purpose. And we were stained with sin and destined for continual and spiritual death, eternal death. But God, who was rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, made us alive together with Christ. And so Christ died the death that he didn't deserve. And God tells us that if we repent of our sins and we trust that Jesus died in our place, that we will be redeemed from our condemnation and again be restored to our created purpose to bring God glory. So now now that we are no longer enslaved to sin, we are freed to live toward that created purpose, the glory of God. Friends, there are lots of Christians who just don't understand That real freedom means doing what is right. Last week we talked about the faulty reasoning of freedom in Christ. Liberty is is not the ability just to go do, live however in the world you want to live. But true freedom comes as we understand the gospel and surrender ourselves to Christ. A surrendered life means a life of righteousness. So in verse 13 and in verse 16, we have the same exhortation in in, in verse 19 to to yield our members. That is how we will grow in righteousness. James Montgomery Boyce said it this way. There's no secret formula for holiness. No magic recipe. The only means is to realize what God has done for us and then discipline the parts of our bodies to act accordingly. Friends, there's no secret magic formula. It's simply by God's grace walking in obedience because you are a slave to God. We should be serving righteousness with the same zeal, the same fervor, the same passion and dedication that we used to serve the idols of our hearts before we came to Christ. Let's be more passionate about serving our new master than we were about serving our old master. So is your love for human relationships stronger than your love for your relationship with God? Is your tongue more guarded before or after you came to Christ? Is your absentee rates greater at work or at church? Is your pursuit of a retirement account just as important as your practice of tithing? Realize your position. You have a new master. And then respond accordingly, walking in obedience. That's the call to surrender yourself. Understand what has happened to you positionally, and then respond practically with obedience. You are a slave to something, and remembering that will help you respond in a way of surrender. Friends, one of the questions you should ask yourself is this. Is God your master? Are you freed to pursue your created purpose? Or are you still bound to serving sin? Jesus said he promised to give rest to all who come to him. If you've never come to Jesus, I invite you to do that today. He can be your, he wants to be your master. He wants to be Lord of your life. Will you come to Jesus today? 
If you have questions about what it means to be, to be a follower of Christ, to be born again, talk with us after the service so we can show you from God's word what it means to be a Christ follower. Being alive to God is, is more than just a theological status for our future life. It's also a tangible summons for your present life. So being alive to God calls us to thanksgiving. Being alive to God, our new master, calls us to surrender. And thirdly, we see that being alive to God, our new master, calls us to hope. Look at verse 20 again. For when you were servants of sin, talking past tense, you were free from righteousness. What fruit did you have at that time of those those things which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now, being made free from sin and become servants to God, you have your fruit unto holiness and the end, everlasting life. That word holiness is is sanctification. So now that we are in Christ, our our lives give fruit towards sanctification and, and its end, everlasting life. So we have another contrast here between our past and our present and our future. Paul reminds us that we were slaves to sin and the fruit of our lives at that time ended, ended in things of death. When, John, when Newton wrote Amazing Grace, he was no doubt remembering the shameful ways of his past, what his life was like pre-conversion. We know that the Apostle Paul remembered his pre-conversion days. He referred to himself as the chief of sinners. Maybe you can look back to before you came to Christ. You can remember what your life was like and how you gave yourself to serving sin. What fruit were you getting at that time? From the things of which you are now ashamed. We are ashamed of our lives before coming to Christ. That's the past. So Paul goes on to explain that since we have now been set free from sin, and since we are now slaves to God, the fruit that we get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. Our past slavery brought shame to us and eventually eternal death. But our current enslavement to God brings sanctification and eternal life. Again, John Newton, his shameful past yielded fruit for death. But after he came, became a slave to God, his life yielded fruit for sanctification. We sang some of his the uh, text that was a fruit of his sanctification this morning. So do you see it? Post-salvation, after our master has been changed from sin to God, the fruit of our lives is sanctifying. We've, sanctifying means to be set apart. So we have been set apart when God made us alive, and he is continuing to set us apart in this life before Jesus comes back. He's promised to continue a good work in us until the day of Christ, and one day we will be completely set apart. We'll be glorified We'll have no more sin at all. So Paul is pointing us to our current life in Christ and then also to our eternal life, both of which offer hope. Christian, there is no reason not to hope in God. There is every reason to hope in God. If God can make you alive again, then you can rest assured that he can keep you alive for all of eternity. If God can make you alive again, and if God can keep you alive for all eternity, then you can rest assured that He can produce in you fruit today that leads to sanctification. When temptation is hounding you in this life, 
I'm talking about when it is coming after you. And Satan is, is walking about seeking whom he may devour. And sometimes you feel that temptation to the besetting sin that is, that is in your life. And you feel, whoa, there's no hope for me in facing this temptation. Paul says otherwise. Because you have been made alive. You don't have to yield to temptation. There is hope for you for the glory of God. That hope is possible because you have been made alive to God. So Christian, I, don't, I, I realize that the, the, what you see on, on, on the news and what you see in social media and what you experience walking day in and day out in life in, in 2021, there ain't a lot of hopeful action out there, is there? It's, it's daunting. It's hard to think about. We haven't been called to a life of ease. But my friends... This word, Romans chapter 6, tells us we've been made alive. So whatever happens this week and this month and this year and whatever happens till Jesus comes back, there's hope because he's with us. And even after he comes back, there's greater hope because we're going to have everlasting life, living forever with our Savior. Christian, you are freed from the bondage of sin, granted sanctification and eternal life. So, being made alive to God is more than a theological status for a future life. It's a tangible summons. It's a call for our present life. Christian, you have no room to sit back and say, well, I've been made alive again. I'm good to go. I'll just coast. While it is true that your status has been changed, you're being called to respond today presently are we going to continue in sin since we are no longer under the law but under grace paul screams god forbid may it never be rather respond with thanksgiving that you have a new master rather respond with a surrendered life walking in obedience not to get God to love me anymore, not to get God to give me a new master, not walking in obedience because I'm going to get something from God for it, but walking in obedience out of thanksgiving because of what he has done for me. Being called to respond with hope since God is now your master. You are no longer bound to sin. You have the option of living for righteousness. Christian, you are alive to God. You have literally been moved from darkness into his marvelous light. Your sins have been removed as far as the east is from the west, and he remembers them no more. You have been clothed with the righteousness of Christ. You have been granted eternal life when all you deserved was eternal death. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our body and of our mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, because of his great love toward us, made us alive together in Christ, by grace, we have been saved. Brothers and sisters, let us live this week with thanksgiving for that grace. 
Let us live this week with full surrender, with obedience to our new master. And let us find our hope, not in anything that this world could offer. Let us find our hope in Jesus Christ, who is the Lord of our life. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes.